Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. Today I get to introduce you to a special local friend of mine named Brandy Reynolds. Brandy and I met a number of years ago through a local MOPS program, which is a Christian ministry for young moms, where I was able to serve as a mentor for many years. But after Jackson died, I remember feeling like I wasn't qualified to be a mentor for these moms anymore. After all, I'm sure you've heard people joke that our main job as a mom is just to keep our kids alive. And well, I wasn't able to keep Jackson alive. So what advice or encouragement or support could I possibly provide for these young moms? I thought for sure I would be a discouragement, a face and a presence that these young moms wouldn't want to see. So I took some time off for mentoring after Jackson died. And honestly, I needed to anyway, just to have the strength and energy to function in some of the most basic ways at home. But when Eric and I attended David and Nancy Guthrie's grief retreat the following year after he died, Nancy shared the counterintuitive encouragement to serve and build into others, even in grief, even in early grief. She told us that one of the best and quickest ways to alleviate some of the deepest pain and grief and begin the healing process was serving others was putting the needs of others before my own lament. Not right away, not all of the time, and definitely not in a denial or unhealthy sort of way, but as a way to begin healing and moving forward, and also as a way to stay in community when it can be so tempting to isolate and pull away and just stay inwardly focused on my own pain. It can be tempting to tell ourselves that we can't encourage others when our own heart is broken or when we are in our own dark night of the soul. But in most situations, when we serve others in our brokenness and look for those around us who also need love, encouragement, and care in the midst of this broken world, God can do amazing things in our lives and in theirs. All this to say, because of not only Nancy's encouragement, but the encouragement of a number of local friends, including these sweet young Mops moms, I hesitantly stepped back into being a mentor, and I quickly realized that my brokenness was actually going to make me a better mentor than I was before grief. The women saw me as more approachable, and they believed me in a different way when I assured them that God would meet them in their hard places, that he would comfort and help them no matter what kind of situation they were in the middle of. I also realized I had more compassion and more patience. I saw the hurt in people's eyes sooner. I was a better listener. I was slower to speak. I was quicker to hug and definitely quicker to pray. I share all of this because when I did return to mentoring at MOPS, one of the greatest blessings to come out of the years I spent with that special group of ladies was getting to know Brandy. She has a similar, can I really be used by God to encourage others when I have been through what I have been through kind of story. When I first met her, Brandy was being asked to be the MOPS coordinator, and it stretched everyone's thinking at first because, especially in the Christian world, it can be tempting to believe that we need put-together leaders, that the people up front should not be messy and broken, certainly not someone with a prison record and someone with a label like she had. But Brandy and I both learned that God's strength is seen best through weakness and that imperfect leaders are usually the best ones to point others to our perfect Redeemer God. As you listen to our conversation, you'll hear that Brandy's fight for joy has been intense and it continued even after her release from prison as she dealt with serious rejection and shame. You'll also hear about some of the amazing ways that God has redeemed her story and allowed her to encourage others with his faithfulness and love, including the recent release of Brandy's new book. In it, she shares the story of her journey from physical prison chains to the freedom she found in understanding how God sees her. I hope our conversation encourages you, especially if you feel labeled and rejected or even chained to your own difficult circumstances. So listen in as Brandy shares her story and some of the things that have helped her to fight for joy. Hi, Brandy. Thank you so much for coming over today. I've been looking forward to this conversation with you. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah. So you and I met a few years ago uh, in a ministry called MOPS, or Mothers of Preschoolers, and we were both on the leadership team. You were actually leading the ministry as coordinator, and I was one of the mentors, so We got to work pretty closely together for a number of years, and that's when I 
got to see your fight for joy up close and personal and was just continually encouraged by the ways that you did fight for joy in the midst of some really hard things. And because of that, you are a guest that I've been wanting to have on for quite a while. And interestingly enough, when I went to start a little outline for our conversation today, um, I was looking back on some notes from season one, and I actually found an outline that I'd written out in hopes that I would record an episode with you then. So oh, since wow. the very start of this podcast, I have been wanting to mm. have you on. So I'm really glad you're here today. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's just jump right in and have you introduce yourself to my listeners. Yeah. So I am Brandy Reynolds and I stay at home with three amazing kids. Uh, Bella's 13, Titus is 10, and Jacob is 7. I work from home and just currently launched a book. So that is my story. And it's taken so many years to not only navigate and write, um, but also just work through the production parts of that. And so super blessed to have that out. And yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited for you too. So share the title of your book. Yeah. So the title is Released. From Chains to Chosen. I love that. I love that. And how's the launch going? It's out in the world now. How are you feeling about everything? Is it going okay? Yeah, it's definitely a learning curve. Um, Uh I had no idea. I've never obviously written a book before. Yeah. And um, they have a whole like slew of things to do. And so I've just been processing through all that and like how to launch a book and how to do, you know, the the yeah. formatting and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, it's going well. I think yeah. we've sold quite a few books Good. and had a launch team and yes. just really trying to get God's yes. God's story and me out into yeah. the world and yeah. see what happens next. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I am excited to have a conversation today in light of your book being released, especially um, I feel like there's so much to cover with you. And so I think knowing that you have a book now out there in the world, it kind of relieves me of some of the pressure to not try to touch on everything um, that I would want to with you. But today we'll at least be able to scratch the surface and then definitely point people to get your book. And um, I'm sure they're going to want to dive in and hear more. I was able to be on the launch team. So it was really exciting for me to be able to read it in the early stages. And I've texted you about this, but boy, I just um, am really proud of you for all that you um, poured into getting this book um, out there as a means of encouragement to others, um, the ways that God does redeem and restore um, broken situations. And I've lived it, you've lived it. And um, to have something out there, a tangible book um, to put in the hands of other people is, um, it's a really special, hard but really special um, thing that you've been able to do. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we'll keep talking about your book throughout our conversation today, but I think the best thing to start with is just diving into your story and kind of tell a little bit about the things in your life that led you to writing this book. And then we'll get into what your personal fight for joy has looked like in the middle of it. So, so where do you want to start? Um, well, first of all, thank you for being a part of the launch team. Yeah, because that yeah, is yeah, asking people to come on board of something that I feel so passionate about. Um, yeah, it, it was great to have support. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. And I am thankful that I have a book because I think mm-hmm. that's the, the biggest struggle when I'm sharing my story is that there's so much that writing a book mm-hmm. is just so freeing to say, I don't have to share it all. Like right. it's, it's already out there. Um, so I'm really appreciative of that as yes. well. Yes. Um, I always feel like you got to start back at the beginning. And yeah, so that's kind of where, um, I feel, I feel, um, led to, to start. So I grew up outside of Fremont, Nebraska and, mm-hmm. um, And out in the country, we lived close to like a trailer park. We lived in a modular home Mm -hmm. and there was a bus system that would, you know, transport me to school. But I went to a little elementary school Mm -hmm. where most of the kids like went to school around their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't really fit in, I guess I would say. Like I didn't know the kids at my school very well. And my parents were... um, they were really struggling with like the trauma of their growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they just, you know, they kind of weren't available as much. And so I was trying to navigate all that and go and fit in at school. And I just kind of didn't until I would say around the age of 10, I was invited to 
church by one of my neighbors mm. and it was vacation bible school mm. and he was trying to have a pizza party at the end of the week so he had to invite <laughs> as many uh-huh. friends as he could and so i just remember going there and sitting in the front yard and it's crazy because i literally live down the street from this church mm. today but i remember sitting in the front um and sitting down on the grass and just listening to this teacher tell me that there's this God who loves us so much mm. that he died for us and that if we accept him into our heart, then he would come and live inside of us and I would never have to be alone. Mm. And alone was something I knew so well. Wow. And I just felt like I'm going to do this thing. Like I'm going to, whatever she's saying, I'm doing it. And so I just remember like just feeling so much different and it wasn't like I had, you know, the weight of my sin or anything like that. It was just like, I need this Jesus. And I just, I didn't feel alone. And from then on, it was like I had this invisible friend that I would talk to and I would sing to and just really helped me shoulder everything that I kind of was walking through. And so mm-hmm. I kept going to this little church. Um, they had a bus ministry, which was awesome mm-hmm. because you know, and I even look back and I, how did I have like the want to, mm-hmm. of, you know, being mm-hmm. a 10 year old kid going on another school bus for, you know, two hours, like, and it's, it's just like, it was totally God and his provision. And so I did every time the, the church was open Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, somebody would come and pick me up. And, um, but I would say that I, I struggled a little bit too, with just everybody else had families that sat in the mm-hmm. pews and. Um, but I, I did develop a really good, strong friendship with uh, my best friend at the time, Jenny, and uh, just followed her family wherever they went. And eventually I followed her to college. Um, mm-hmm. I really wanted to go to a Christian mm-hmm. school because, you know, I went to the public school and I just really felt a strong calling um, of God on my life. And so I went there and that's where I met my husband. And um, yeah, he just he came from a strong Christian family. And at the time, my parents weren't believers and so I just had this like this picture perfect Christian life right that this man was going to love me no matter what and I would just figure it all out and so we got engaged in um, college and then right after graduating college we got married Mm -hmm. and man that was I was probably 21 years old and I started teaching at a small Christian school that was about an hour away and you know It was interesting because everyone would tell you, you know, with marriage, like make sure that the door of communication is open and communication is so important. But I honestly had like no idea Hmm. what a healthy marriage looked like. Like my parents, they everything was out in the open and um, yelling and screaming and all that stuff. Like I didn't I didn't really know how to like communicate in a healthy way. And Mm -hmm. my husband, his parents always had discussions behind closed doors Mm. and so where he would want to try to talk about something I wanted to run the other way and so just trying to figure all that and uh you know the enemy is good and um he just saw where there was just this open door of um just some things came up in our marriage right from the get-go and I was carpooling with a young man that was at our church and started opening up about what things were going on with my husband at the time and just developed this deep um, relationship of conversation and ended up turning into an inappropriate relationship without going over the details of all that um I ended up sharing with my pastor what happened and learned at that point that what I had done was against the law Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and though we thought that it would just be something that would you know with all the the things that they were looking at um it would just be something that I would walk away with a little jail time. Ended up that I was sentenced for four to eight years. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that was um, quite the situation. And yeah. my husband and I were still in it for our marriage. And thankfully, mm-hmm. we've been married now for 19 years. Yeah. And so a lot of, you know, the next years were navigating myself through prison mm-hmm. and all the programming that I would go through 
And then, you know, it's it's interesting. You finally get out, but then you kind of deal with the aftermath of all that. Yes. And it was yes. rejection after rejection. Um, I'm so thankful for mops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as the 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 rejection doors were were closing, it when the do- doors did open up, it was very evident of of where I needed to go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. mops was a place that I did not think that I needed, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I honestly needed it more. Um, You talk of, you know, leading and coordinating and it's, it's amazing the places and I'm sure we'll probably talk Mm -hmm. about this a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. you know, just the next years of my life were just so much um, of a roller coaster of rejection and, and trying to navigate where God is in all of this and really living a life that is fully restored and mm-hmm. has hope mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. can trust in God and no matter what season that looks like. So, yeah. yeah, yes, you are right. Like you, your book goes through um, a lot of the details leading up to your time in prison, but it also does explain what you're just trying to say now too about the after effects of it all, the trickle mm-hmm. effects. I've learned that too, it, just in my own life, but also in watching other people go through really hard things. You have you have kind of the leading up to, to it, you have what happens, and then you have all of these trickle effects um, that you have to deal with in the in the years to follow. And um, that sometimes is not any easier than getting through the actual situation you have to get through, you know. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, we'll, we'll of course keep uh, prompting people to get your book to read more of the details of it all. But I think one of the things that I wanted to start by talking about is just... Um, uh, some of the ways you had to fight for joy. Um, I'd like to start just during your time in prison because in your book, you know, you share a lot of the letters that you wrote to your husband, Mike, while you were in there. You share some of the things you journaled and prayed. And I'm sure it's no surprise to anybody listening that being locked up with the hard charges and sentence you were given would threaten to steal your joy in a gazillion ways. Um, and as you were writing the book and kind of thinking back on some of these letters and journal entries and thinking about those dark days in prison, um, what, you know, what are a couple of the main things that caused you to fall into despair? Or in other words, like what, what threatened your, your hope and your peace and your joy the most during that time? So I would say when I was in prison, the thing that really seemed to discourage me the most was, um, the rehashing of everything. Mm -hmm. So especially when I had to go through a a program at the Lincoln Regional Center. So it's basically a mental institution that had sex offender therapy. And in it, you know, it's designed to help you recover, right? But it's absent of Christ and the power Mm -hmm. of Christ. And so for me, it was a lot of going over the same situation Mm -hmm. and you know, there was no, okay, yeah, you are going to eventually get out, but you don't know what that looks like and all the ramifications and the punishment mm-hmm. and all that. And so it was like just maintaining this joy was difficult with having to go over it and over mm-hmm. it and over it. And so I would say that um, I would tried to hit all the goals right like I completed Lincoln Regional Center the fastest anyone ever had and I had gotten parole um, the fastest anyone ever had and Mm -hmm. I was hitting all these things but Mm -hmm. the system was always telling me it was never enough Mm -hmm. and even when I got out it was okay you will have to register for five years well that changed overnight and now it's 25 years Mm -hmm. and that was the lie the enemy has spoken over me from the beginning. Like, you're never enough. It'll mm-hmm. never be enough. You'll never fit in. Mm-hmm. You'll always be like mm-hmm. this subhuman mm-hmm. fighting your way. But, it, you know, and so for me, like the root of my enoughness yeah. was what was robbing me. You know, I knew truth. I knew Christ was enough. But my my circumstances, my circumstances were telling mm-hmm. me something else. Mm-hmm. And so was yeah. society. So was the law. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to navigate what God was saying to me was really difficult. I can totally see that that would be a huge discouragement, especially like you said, with some of your past history and feelings of that growing up and then to have that just you know, drilled in even more in some of these circumstances. So what did you do? You know, what were some of the specific things when you would be hearing these 
messages um, and be tempted to believe these messages that you are not enough that, um, you know, I would love for you to get specific. Um, just you share in your book about some of these things, but just how did you practically fight for joy through some of these um, discouragements? I did write down a lot because, you, did. It, yeah. you know, I it, it was so hard that um, that is such a good question. Um, so first and foremost, in prison scripture, mm -hmm. like it was my lifeline, especially when I was in segregation. So like an isolation area of the prison. Mm -hmm. All I had was my Bible. Like mm -hmm. there was nothing. There was no social media. There was mm. no going to any other thing because all I had was myself and the Bible. And so in those discouragements and in those places, especially the book mm -hmm. of Psalms, I was writing out scripture on three by five cards. And then once I got to the yard, I was constantly, I'm a mover. And so I would walk and I would just memorize those verses. So when I felt a certain way or the enemy attacked me with a certain lie, I was refuting that and I wanted to know it. Mm -hmm. So when it mm -hmm. came and I didn't have a three by a five guard, like I knew like that scripture and I could, you know, mm -hmm. the the word of God is live and active and sharper than mm -hmm. any two edged sword. And yeah. I was in a battle. So yes, that was for sure. Um, the balm to my aching soul mm. was scripture. I love that. Um, I would also say like, as I started walking, I noticed I wasn't alone anymore. People mm. would come up also going through stuff and mm -hmm. they didn't have the hope I did. They mm -hmm. didn't have Christ. And so just processing what they were going through and helping them, giving them out what I was receiving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was so life-giving. Yeah. And helping other people, getting my eyes off of myself. And then I started you know, doing prison Bible studies in, in the day room and talking with people. And that was awesome awesome like mm -hmm. helping others just really was a good source for me yeah um and then i write about this too but i had to wait so long before i got a cd player and mm -hmm. people are like what's a cd player well it's this, <laughs> this device that we used to listen to music on right. um <clears throat> but yeah so i get christian music which i mean i was in the most mm -hmm. violent hall all of prison so mm -hmm. my roommates were a hot mess and mm -hmm. I love them dearly mm -hmm. but they were and <laughs> I remember feeling like when I finally heard Christian music after two months it was like I was in my own happy bubble like oh, I, I was just stupid crazy silly like <laughs> it was so good like mm -hmm. you know praise you in the storm just singing at the top of my lungs and people looking at me funny and singing in the shower and um but yeah. worship music yeah. is so I mean and even when you don't want to like yeah. it's the one thing that's just like no I'm going to choose to turn it on whether or not I have the feelings to mm -hmm. listen to it and it's mm -hmm. always just a place that just changes the atmosphere mm -hmm. and mm -hmm just really helped um but when I got really depressed and Mike knew this too my husband that was writing me and would come and visit me mm -hmm. every weekend mm -hmm. when it got really hard he would help remind me of like what's to come mm. so he would ask me like okay let's you know let's go on another honeymoon and mm -hmm. where do you want to go you know what mm -hmm. kind of dogs do you want to have and just kind of getting my mind out of the sludge it was in and focused mm -hmm. on brighter days mm -hmm. but as you know i think about even the future it's also good to remember all the places i've already walked yes because yes. otherwise you know it's like okay faithful is he yesterday who also will be faithful today mm -hmm. and so knowing that gives me the strength i have just to get through another yeah. day yeah i love that yeah those are some powerful things and i love you know that you mentioned ministering to the other women um that were uh, locked up with you because i think that is such um a missed opportunity for people when they're struggling um, it's so counterintuitive to think about when you're in the middle of struggling um, through some difficult situations and circumstances to turn your attention to other people that just feels very um, impossible sometimes mm -hmm. but it is such a way to um, to find joy when we can uh, see kind of the light bulbs and the hope turn on in other people and when we could share some of the things we're learning with others um, in their hard things. So I love that you were able to find a way to do that even there. Um, you kind of mentioned the Psalms. Uh, I love that in the Bible we read, you know, numerous examples of God's people just crying out to him and 
in these raw, honest prayers. And um, I've always seen that as just God's kindness to us, that he left mm-hmm. passages of scripture like that in there, um, just kind of showing us that he knows how we'll feel when we're in the middle of, of difficult circumstances. And, um, you know, that sometimes in this broken world, there will be times when we just feel like he doesn't hear us or he just doesn't care. Or he's forgotten about us or abandoned us. And I just appreciated your honesty throughout the book about having some of these feelings. Um, you kind of talked about feeling like God was mad at you or wasn't hearing you. And um, that feels totally understandable that you would wrestle with that. I think a lot of people do um, when we're in the middle of low kind of places in life and when things are falling apart. But I just, I don't think people always know what to do with those kinds of thoughts and feelings. And, um, you know, you, I think it's tempting to wonder if we should even be feeling this, um, if we should bring this kind of stuff to, to the Lord. Um, so I was appreciative of the times that you shared about this in your book. And I wanted to read something that you wrote um, on page 144. You gave an example of this and you said, I feel like I'm drowning. When I get like this, it's difficult to see God clearly. And then you say, it feels like he's still mad at me. And you kind of talk about feeling like you just wanted to die. And then you continue on page 187 and said, I feel like hope was always something I had. I dropped it a few times along the way, but I've never been without it for this long. And I don't know how to get it back. I keep crying out to God, but it doesn't seem like he hears me. And I'm just so grateful for your bravery and sharing kind of that level of darkness, because I think when we're struggling in those ways, we need to know that we're not alone in having thoughts and feelings like like that. So, so what did you do when you felt like that? Like, how did you fight through, through times like that, that were so dark? You already mentioned, you know, the worship music and, and scripture and kind of talking through it with Mike, but like not giving up on hope in God, not giving up on your faith. Um, you know, it's one thing to fight for your marriage, to just have, you know, be thinking about your future. But like when you're feeling like God is mad at you or not hearing you, Um, how do you wrestle through that? Were there particular scriptures that you went to? Were there particular promises you clung to? What helped you to not give up on, on God? Um, there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, definitely staying in the word of God, even Mm -hmm. when you feel like he's not listening to you. Mm -hmm. So just do it to stay, Mm -hmm. to stay with it Mm -hmm. because he promises to have his word bear fruit. One of the verses that really did speak to me, and I feel like as believers, we know it well, but it's Romans 8, 28. Mm-hmm. We know that God works all things together for the good that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I just think of that was actually the verse on my website Mike had made to keep people updated back then. Mm-hmm. But it helped me mentally put in a category that this bad thing is going to be worked out for my good someday Mm -hmm. and though it feels like this there is going to be a better time later but when I was really and what what uh the words that you were just reading um and if Mike if Mike didn't have the words for me because he was usually the one I went to but sometimes he was you know in his own stuff too Mm um I I was just so thankful for the amount of believers that wrote me Mm. and encouraged me and prayed for me. Mm. And so oftentimes God would use their letters um, just to have that open communication with a body of believers where God can use them as instruments to speak what you need or to affirm something he's already said in the word and you just weren't in the right mindset Mm -hmm. to hear it Mm -hmm. but his mom would often be that person for me and I feel like when Mike was desperate he would always call his mom and then I would you know (laughs) she would talk to me too but I Mm -hmm. remember one specific time and she wasn't giving me anything until she said I just want you to know that I'm it was when I was at the Lincoln Regional Center Mm -hmm. she said I'm still writing the ladies at York and they're always like so thankful for mm. the relationship with you. But Brandy, I just want you to know, I'm so proud of you. Mm. And it was like those words mm-hmm. is what my heart needed to hear. It's like, I know this epically sucks, mm-hmm. but I'm proud of you and I'm cheering you on. Just to know you wow. had a support team yeah. behind you yes. that, you know, was just hey, we you have to make it because mm-hmm. we're behind you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even on this side where I've struggled in some of my, Mm -hmm. you know, deepest places just with rejections on this side, 
God gave me this picture too. Like even when you don't have that cheering team that you might have had then, mm-hmm. um, he just kind of opened up the heavens and I saw him sitting, you know, the, the throne of God. And it was like, Brandy in the future is there cheering myself on hmm. with all, you know, the crowd of witnesses. And mm-hmm. it's just like, run the race, mm-hmm. you know, just run it. It'll be, I'm already halfway through the race, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and it'll be worth it someday. Mm. And so that gives me the hope, you know, that. Yeah. yeah, that is powerful, Brandy. And I think you're, that's a great point is just leaning into the other believers in our lives um, to give us that hope and that faith when we don't feel like we can dig for it and find it ourselves. And I think that's such a beautiful part of your story that I was in awe of too throughout the book was Mike's mom and grandma and just the way that they didn't pull away from you. They didn't, um, you know, shy away from the uncomfortableness of of jail and the institution and the Lincoln Center and every, I mean, they pulled towards you. They Mm -hmm. pulled towards the other women there. And I think you said at one point they were writing 15 or so women. And um, I mean, just what a powerful uh, encouragement for all of us that we can gain from that of just, um, you know, you did feel so much rejection. And so to have a contrast in Mike's family of not, not only not rejecting you, but saying they are proud of you Mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of just such a dark place and dark situation. And that of course is going to buoy you up and give you strength and encouragement and the hope that you need. So that's beautiful. Just a quick reminder that one of my Fighting for Joy podcast sponsors is Faithful Counseling. As I continue to reflect on my own grief journey, I just can't help but reflect on how helpful solid Christian counseling has been for me. It's seriously been one of the greatest helps in my fight for joy and in figuring out how to just keep plowing through the depths of grief and strive to still fully live and embrace the life that I have. So if you are in grief yourself, there's just not a better time to seek counseling. Maybe you're not dealing with the death of a loved one, but you're struggling with the death of a dream or of your marriage or of life like you thought it would look like. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety or depression, or you can't even put a finger on what you're feeling, but you're just stuck. Or maybe life overall is pretty good, but you just need some help processing and understanding something like relationship issues or extended family issues. It could even be that you would just benefit from some coaching and guidance regarding your career or in an area like parenting. No matter what you are wrestling through, the counselors at Faithful Counseling can help you. They offer an online counseling format that makes getting everything lined up super easy and convenient. You could even get paired with a therapist and have your first session within a few days. And don't forget, you always have the opportunity to switch counselors at any time to make sure that you have the perfect fit for you and your individual needs. Because they are a sponsor for my show, I'm able to offer you a code for a little discount on their services. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash fighting for joy. Be sure to add the slash fighting for joy at the end for your discount to take effect. I've said it many times before, and I will continue to say it. Quality counseling is a worthy investment in your fight for joy. Now let's get back to my conversation with Brandy. Another time you kind of talked about it too was in the love chapter. Um, You were talking about clinging to some different verses. I think one of them was in Psalm 57, but you were talking about how like reciting it and memorizing it helped you to feel safe and secure, Mm -hmm. which I think is like a miraculous thing I would assume to feel Mm -hmm. um, when you are in prison. Um, You wrote like, as I prayed, I felt the love of God washing over me. And you said, my heart grew thankful that God never left me. And then you kind of say like you felt the love of God like you'd never felt it before and that God gave you a deep peace inside that allowed you even for just a minute to to rest and run into his arms and love and to remember truth. And, you know, Philippians 4, 7 calls that a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I think that's a peace that you and I can both testify to at this point in our life, that it's a piece that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense to feel that in the middle of some of these horrible circumstances. Um, 
And I think it's encouraging for other believers to hear us proclaim that kind of peace in the middle of it, because it's the same peace, even though it's different circumstances mm-hmm. from the same big God. Yeah. And um, that's the hope that I know you and I both want everybody listening to have too, um, that even in the darkest of situations, in the most brutal days, we can run to God, we can run to his word, like you said, and we can cling to his promises and we can have, like it's available, this peace and comfort and hope. And that helps the beginning of joy to return. And um, so I just, I appreciated um, some of the, the, the miracles that I could see in your story in the midst of some other things that you were hoping would happen weren't happening. But then to cling to the thing, like what is happening? What is God doing here? Even though I think I want this and I'm waiting for this and I'm asking for this. Um, boy, I am feeling God's love rush over me here and I'm experiencing it in a really powerful way. But I think even when we know in our head that we have this deep love of God available to us, um, you know, it, we don't always feel it, obviously. And you share throughout your book about your very relatable struggles with the temptation to run to lesser things, you know, to believe in God, to have faith in him, but then practically run to and hope in and live for and trust in other things and kind of look for salvation or identity in marriage or other relationships or find escape in hobbies like exercise or you know, to place an inordinate amount of value in what we're able to bring to the table at work or ministry or numb hard emotions and thoughts with alcohol or with our phones or with busyness. And, you know, like I said, these are all very relatable struggles. We are all continually tempted to run to things that will just, they'll just never satisfy hearts that were made to find satisfaction in God. And you say in your baby steps chapter, you said, I have a canyon to be filled and I only want him to fill it. My problem comes when I stop looking to God to fulfill my needs and look to something or someone else. And I mean, that pretty much nails it. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much nails it. So I wonder if you could share a little bit more about that, like just some of what you've learned or still are learning. I'm still learning too, just about finding your true identity in Christ and in your relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Um, when I read this verse, it really kind of just helped me. It's Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils or two crimes. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn or built themselves cisterns, Hmm. broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I feel like we fail to fully realize that when we leave God, Hmm. we're going to fill up with something else. And I never really thought I was doing that first Hmm. thing. Because, you know, in scripture, it says you cannot love God and man. You can't love God and money. It's like we think that we're doing it, this this Christian life thing well, Mm -hmm. because we're still checking the boxes. We're still tithing. We're still going to church. We're still doing all the good things. We believe in God. But scripture is telling us something else. It's saying Mm -hmm. that we are turning from him Mm -hmm. and we pour ourselves into these broken things that can't hold Mm. us. They weren't designed to hold us and we'll end up requiring more of ourselves Mm. because Mm. the numbing just, you have to have more to numb you Mm -hmm. and more time. And if it's not this relationship, we figure out, Oh, well I'll try this other relationship. And I have switched so many different broken things I've run to before. I mean, you name it, you know, and you've named a lot. Like we can pour ourselves here and it's like, it's insanity, right? Mm -hmm. We, mm-hmm. we continue to do this mm-hmm. thing apart from God or trust ourselves. Mm. I've done that it's numerous times too. And um, it's just that when we can realize that we're secure in Christ, locked up or on the outside, yeah. it doesn't really matter. And that his word defines who we are and that we have to put that on every single day, who we are in Christ. Otherwise, the world is going to slap its labels all mm-hmm. over us and going to lead us astray into the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great way to say it. And there is freedom in living into what we were created to live for and who we are created to live there's freedom in that you feel like sometimes there's so much that the world has to offer and that we're maybe somehow missing out maybe right and yet um god is better and he is enough and it's living into how we were created and um what we were created for that brings that true freedom 
Um, well, there's a big piece of your story that has to do with forgiveness. Obviously, it's a theme that you've touched on. Um, you you touched on over and over throughout your book. Um, you you know your husband Mike forgiving you, you forgiving Mike, you forgiving people in the church. Uh, the forgiveness that you had to extend towards other women in prison. The family of the young man involved forgiving you. Um, obviously, the struggle to believe that God has truly forgiven you. You know you forgiving yourself. I mean, so much forgiveness all throughout this story. Um, and I know this feels like a huge question. It's probably too big for this podcast, but <laughs> what Brandy have you learned? Um, what have you learned about forgiveness through all of this? I mean, what can you share about the power of forgiveness on, on this side of your story? You know, looking back, um, you know, being forgiven, forgiving others and God's forgiveness in your life and in your story. Well, you're absolutely right. I feel like because there are so many books written on forgiveness, it is such a big topic. Um, mm -hmm. But when I sit down and I try to come up with the things that um, I know that I need the most, this is kind of what I came up with. Mm -hmm. It is a choice mm -hmm. regardless of the feelings. That person doesn't deserve it. Um, I am choosing it. And it's not based on my feelings because mm -hmm. I might not have feelings at the time. Mm -hmm. But the more I make that decision to do the good thing, to do the right thing, mm -hmm. to do the obedient thing, because mm -hmm. God says that mm -hmm. I am to forgive. Otherwise, he can't forgive me. Mm -hmm. And I have so much to be forgiven of. How can yeah. I hold this against somebody else? Yeah. Even though it feels like fire, I'm choosing to do it. Mm -hmm. And the more I choose to do it, the easier it gets and mm. the less mindset space it takes up in my brain yeah so I just choose to do it that's um, true and praying for them yeah softens my heart towards yeah. that person mm -hmm. to pray for them because the bible again says to pray for your enemies mm -hmm. and so when it comes into my mind instead of like thinking about the hurt or thinking about the words or thinking about it I just put my brain into action instead mm -hmm. and pray for them mm -hmm. and I would also say that God often when I'm really struggling I I will have a dream about mm. that person. We're like, we're still friends. Mm. And I feel like that's just God's way to me to like soften my heart. Mm -hmm. Because now I was thinking about that person and yeah. grieving what was lost. And mm -hmm. grieving does soften your heart as mm -hmm. well. It does. And my heart has, you know, been through a lot of stuff. Prison and violent prison at that. And so I think it's another way of keeping me soft and mm -hmm. for God softening my heart. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to remember who our true enemy is. Mm -hmm. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. They are not the people that we see. It's the enemy's tactics. He's using broken people to hurt us. And we're broken too. And when I can remember that that person is created in God's image, that he made him or her, and that they are chosen by God too, mm -hmm. it helps me to release that. Yeah, that's great. That's powerful. I agree. 100% agree. And, you know, I think remembering where, where that um, the root of unforgiveness and bitterness comes from, um, and, and pinpointing mm -hmm. it on the enemy takes some of the, I mean, it brings back some of the humanity, I think, in the person that has sinned against us, um, right. that we want to withhold the um, forgiveness for. And I think, I think so many times too, we don't want to extend forgiveness because it's costly. Like it's a costly thing yeah. to do that. You know, somebody, when somebody, when there's been something that has happened, I mean, somebody has to pay, right? Yeah. I mean, there's somebody has to cover and pay for the real damage that's been done, the real suffering that has occurred. And I think by extending forgiveness and by saying, I forgive you, and I'm not going to hold this over you anymore. Um, you have to feel the cost of that and um, feel, you know, the cost of letting go and of releasing and of asking someone else, you know, not to pay any longer. And that can hurt. It can hurt. So I think sometimes we selfishly want to hang on to unforgiveness because it can kind of seem to feel good for a while or it can seem like we're making them pay mm -hmm. and them suffer and when in reality you know hanging on to that unforgiveness and just clinging on to the hurt that somebody else has caused us um, brings the most damage to the person hanging on to it and lets bitterness creep in and you know, it makes me think of that quote that says, you know, unforgiveness is mm -hmm. like drinking poison mm -hmm. and expecting the other person to die. Yep. And then I think on the other, on the flip side too, it can be hard to receive forgiveness. You know, if we have sinned and, and we have real consequences and real things that have happened as a result of something that we have done, mm -hmm. um, 
we can have a sense sometimes that we should continue to pay um, mm-hmm. and that somehow God's forgiveness uh, isn't quite enough, that we need to remain a little bit in our misery and and in our regret. And, um, you know, somehow we can kind of work things out and feel good enough to be forgiven eventually. And, you know, we don't always make that up. People can make us feel like that, mm-hmm. like we need to be sitting in this a little longer. And mm-hmm. um, But I love when you say in the book... Um, the hardest of hearts can be melted with love. Mm. And I think that is so true. And, you know, not only when we forgive others or when they forgive us, um, because I think you were talking about that quote when maybe Mike's mom or grandma was writing to somebody and it was kind of melting one of your um, friends, tough friends, heart. Um, But I think it can also be seen in regards to like what happens to us when we look to the cross, you know, yeah. when we look to the way that at great cost to himself, yeah. Christ came to die on our behalf. And, um, you know, that, that melts our hearts. Mm-hmm. And I think a melted heart is the one that's eager and ready to forgive others as yeah. well. So I love, I love talking about forgiveness. I feel like it brings a lot of freedom to people mm-hmm. who are holding on to it. Um, and so I love anytime we can bring it in um, to conversation. But, um, you know, all that being said, shame is a real thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, sitting in some of the, the guilt and the regret and all of that, um, you know, there's also shame that can um, cause us to not understand that we or believe that we are fully forgiven um, and you experienced um, just a lot of rejection. You've already mentioned it, um, but as a result of what you've gone through, and you know, it was rejection from a lot of people that you um, that none of us want to be rejected for, by. Be rejected by, you know, pastors and churches and mm-hmm. um, places in the community. Um, so, one of the the quotes that I wanted to read as you were kind of wrestling with some of the rejection and shame. Um, He wrote, I think I will always be a reject, an outcast, and never belong. And then you say the chains, labels, restrictions, registrations, rejections, isolation, sentencing, segregation, public humiliation, strip searching, ministry, church, society, and what people have said about me affirmed it. I thought I was what everyone thought of me. My shame kept that monster strapped to my back. I lived my life under that label rather than my true identity in Christ. And I appreciated that you called it a monster of shame because I think that is what it feels like. And I think rejection from others is overwhelming. It overwhelms us with shame. And of course, there is real and righteous guilt to be felt over sin. We all would agree on that. But shame is just a whole other beast and monster, like you said, that it, that can rob people of joy. Um, and so I just, um, I don't know. I think a lot of my listeners if they're honest, feel shame about things. And so I just wanted to have you share a little bit more um, on this topic and just how shame affected your fight for joy. Does it still threaten to fight or still threaten to um, rob you of joy? And then just what kind of hope can you give others who might feel like their biggest failure or their most public sin, you know, continues to haunt them or has become their identity? Yeah, so I have learned quite a bit about shame from Mm -hmm. the door of experience Mm -hmm. unfortunately um i had to learn the difference between guilt and shame which jesus wore both of those on the cross Mm -hmm. but guilt is unconfessed sin so when we've done something wrong and we haven't asked god to forgive us and made amends and forgiven ourselves, that's guilt until we deal with it Mm -hmm. but shame is confess sin it's just the label the enemy puts on us. Mm. And like you said, I experienced all of that rejection, all of those labels. And I think a good picture would be, so at, on work detail, I worked at the state office building and it was in this big, huge building where I was then called, I started out in the mailroom, kind of like the movie Elf where he is in the mailroom <laughs> for work release. That was uh-huh. my life. <laughs> uh-huh. But I got promoted up to the, I think at the sixth floor, I'm not sure, except for they were all very professional and in business suits and lawyers. And I was grateful for that job, but I was in my work detail khakis mm. and stiff boots. Mm-hmm. And I stood out like a sore thumb. It didn't matter how much makeup I put on my face or how nice mm-hmm. my hair was. Like mm-hmm. they knew I was from 
the center and mm-hmm. they were looking me up. I'm certain of it. And I just felt labeled like the scarlet letter, right? Hester right. Prynne put on that letter yes. A and she had to wear it because it stuck out. And so that was kind of like a picture of what my life has been like as a registered sex offender, open for the community to see, you know, you could read about my skeletons. Not mm-hmm. everyone has their skeletons on That's right. on full display, but mine were, I mean, such a tangible thing. And so every layer was like affirming the enemy's lies. That's why it was so hard for me to just take mm-hmm. that off, you mm-hmm. know? But I think when we remember that it is a tactic from the enemy and it is against us, we have to strip that shame of its lie and its power mm-hmm. because Jesus died to take that from me. He nailed it to the cross and he's so much big to carry it. Um, and I do him a disservice if I don't let him carry it. And for me, that's been, mm-hmm. you know, layer by layer. Mm-hmm. I think when we've worn it for so long or we hear it affirmed in several places, it's going to take time for those things to come off of us. Mm-hmm. But being in a body of believers where, you know, you said it earlier, I think when we go through stuff, we tend to isolate or withdraw from other people. Mm-hmm. But those people are the arms and leg of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? We're mm-hmm. all different parts and we need each other. We yeah. need other people to help. There's so many believers, and I write about that, that they were able to dispel the lies that I knew in my head, but I hadn't mm-hmm. swallowed in my mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. And to be able to call that out, no, that's not truth. Why are you believing that? And I'm like, yeah. why am I believing that? Yeah. That is that is silly, but this is like, doesn't matter what we go through, Brandy. You know this. Mm-hmm. And it was just pointing those things out where, again, I knew it in my head knowledge. One of the verses I love is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. It's like I went through a college for Christians, you know, like I, I know these things, mm-hmm. but it's different when you know them yeah. and that you apply them. Do I live like it? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. head knowledge, I mean, Satan himself knows there's God, but mm-hmm. he doesn't live like mm-hmm. it. That's right. And so I feel like when God honors those prayers, when we just say, Hey, I, I got to get it deeper. Mm-hmm. I got to get it on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. promises to show up. And so yeah. it's just been little by little, um, him calling and me able to hear him Mm -hmm. declare who he is Mm -hmm. and he is creator god he creates me so here's the deal he gets to tell me who i am that's right you know he gets to call the shots yeah and it makes me very careful yeah am i calling shots on someone else Mm. because that is not my that's not my spot to do no No. you know that's that's god's that's god's place yeah we shouldn't judge. He is judge. I know That's what it right. feels like to be judged. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things yeah. that I feel. Yeah. That I love me. that. And I, I there's that song out there. I can't remember who it's by, but it's called Remind Me Who I Am. Jason Gray. Jason Gray. I had that written uh, down. Did you? No joke. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we, there's so many other voices, mm-hmm. our own included, mm-hmm. that are telling us untruths you know and so I think it's helpful to continually work to see what does God say about me who am I when he looks at me and I think of that verse in Zephaniah that talks about God um, God rejoicing over Mm -hmm. us with gladness and exalting over us with loud singing I mean it's almost like too hard to imagine with our human minds that God would um be doing that when he uh, calls us to mind or sees us. So especially when we're dealing with something like shame, because shame keeps Mm -hmm. us from believing these beautiful truths about how God views us and shame causes us to, you know, confuse, like you said, the real consequences and guilt from sin, things that we need to confess. um, We confuse that with shame that can come from the enemy to keep us down and pull us away from the forgiveness and the freedom of Christ. And, you know, I think, it's important to remember that God doesn't see our sin anymore. When we're united with Christ, mm-hmm. it says the Bible says as far as the East is mm-hmm. from the West in God's eyes. And he is able to rejoice over us and sing over us because when he sees us, he sees Christ's perfect and finished work on our behalf. And I think putting away, as you called that monster of shame, it just allows us to let his redemptive work really shine in our lives. Um, 
this might be a good time too to just talk quickly about church hurt because um, I know it's a common struggle. I know a lot of people are hurt by the church. Um, and I think when people get hurt by the church, and what I mean by that is other Christians, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a big temptation to walk away. And sometimes it's not just walking away from the church building and gathering on Sunday mornings, but um, the temptation is just to walk away from the Christian faith as a whole, you know, just giving up on God and faith altogether. And so how have you not given up on the church? Like what, what keeps you going back and even wanting to serve in the church? Like I know you do. Mm, Yeah, that is a tough one. Mm -hmm. I have lots of friends and family that have walked through this with me that are unfortunately not back there Mm -hmm. as well. And Mm -hmm. so that, that is our culture, that is society. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. For me, I try to hear God's voice above the rest and to remember that they are broken and bleeding people just as I am. Um, I would say I struggle most with pastors just because of the different places that has come from and that yeah. being the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to remember that they are just human too and that yeah. they have just been called in different areas and that they have an enemy target on their back because... Mm-hmm. I mean, Satan is is out to steal, seek, and destroy life. And he's going to do that in our marriages. He's going to do that in close relationships and mm-hmm. certainly in a body of believers. Like right. we see that all of the time. Yeah. So when we can recognize Satan's target, it helps to disarm his power, in my opinion. And so for me, it's like, okay, as much as I hate rejection, it is mm-hmm. always the door God closes so that I can see the open door somewhere mm-hmm. else. And so for me, it was like I had to sit in it a hot minute, especially after mm-hmm. being on leadership and all that stuff that happened at my former church. Yeah. Like it hurt. That's what, yeah. you know, drew me. And I don't even think we talk, touched on alcohol Mm-mm. and me struggling with drinking. But that is really where... Um, I numb myself mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. that rejection, which was a root cause. Like I felt rejected from a kid. And so, you know, finding this place of life in the church, that was like my God because mm-hmm. I believed what they, you know, they yeah. were selling because it was on the same shelf for me. Like I was yeah. putting church as the same position as God. And so mm-hmm. when I recognized when all that rejection came, God allowed himself to build himself as God. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was helpful because I had to recognize his voice in that. I remember when all that church hurt happened, my husband's like, we can go to a different church. Mm -hmm. And it was like, as if that wasn't even on my thought, like I could do that because Mm -hmm. I always do Mm -hmm. what's in front of me, 110% until the door goes slamming shut. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't the door of rejection. (laughs) Yeah. But had I not just been able to just trust God Mm -hmm. above their circumstances and attempt to go to another church, I would have missed out on so much Mm. life. And so, I mean, that was where I hit a restoration conference. I got freedom and healing. I kept walking through and just more cloaks of shame and more layers of shame and more healing and more restoration, more freedom happened. Wow. It's like, had I not yeah. just yeah. bit the bullet and done that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here. <sighs> and so I'm so thankful that, you know, God never leaves us and he's always wanting mm. us to go to him. So regardless of what that church looks like, you know, it's going to be not perfect. Yeah. It's going to have, you know, things that aren't going to be the way we want them to be. I mean, no church is perfect. You're going to have things you like. You're going to have things that you don't like. But the value of of all of it is that it's it's where the healing happens. It's Mm -hmm. where the freedom takes place. And it's where God does those things because he wants us. He calls us to be in a fellowship and a body of people. I mean, Mm -hmm. and so I just... Just do it because yeah. he's going to honor it. He's going to honor that yes. And it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, I remember coming back to church after all of that and praise God. I mean, it's so cool. But like they had, they hold signs in the parking lot that mm. say you are welcome here. Mm. It gave me just enough courage to take the next step. And yeah. I was just like, I was praying my way through the service. I was like, God, if you're here, like just affirm this and affirm that. And he did. He answered mm-hmm. it. And I mean, he didn't have to, mm-hmm. but he did for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took, a, it took, it wasn't all those things at once. I didn't jump back into leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to sit for a hot minute, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. my first restoration, 
I was drunk at the middle of the thing. Like mm-hmm. I went, I couldn't, they had a lamenting process where you're supposed to just sit and, and cry and grieve. And I'm like, I can't do this. There's too much of it. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it was just, but, but I just kept walking. Yeah. yeah. You got to walk yeah. through the valleys of the shadow of death and we don't have to fear because he is in it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, yeah. and so if, if I could encourage anybody, uh. it's just to stick Mm-hmm. with it yeah through the that fire. is powerful and you're right there is there's such power and there's so much work god's doing in the church that it makes so much sense that's why it's always mm-hmm. you know there's so much threatening to destroy it because that's what the enemy would want is to destroy the power of the body when they come together and i think it's kind of similar to what you were saying about forgiveness too like we're just called to do it like mm-hmm. you know i mean we are commanded in scripture to not forsake gathering together mm-hmm. and so um, we are created and we're wired for gathering, for community. And mm-hmm. so to be physically together as a church, to not give up, to just show up, do the next thing, try again. Um, and yeah, to find a church that is holding up, you know, whether it's physically or just emotionally, the signs saying you are welcome here. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful picture. And I think there's always going to be a reason not to go. I think um, we're always going to be able to find excuses and you know, even when we do go to, you know, church every single Sunday, our life is not problem free. I mean, it doesn't fix everything, but it just helps so much to have that local community of believers to walk through life with. And I think on top of that, we are commanded to do it. And I just, like you said, we have to remember that the church is a messy place full of messy people Mm -hmm. and um, there is no perfect church. Well, a couple other quick things just about the book that I wanted to touch on. Um, as we kind of head towards wrapping up, um, I love how much scripture you have throughout the entire book, Brandy. I just, it was so encouraging to read about how you kept going back to God's word. You've brought it up a number of times here in our conversation too. Um, but just what an encouragement to, you know, read about this 20 something young woman, um, just clinging to God's word and to scripture um, with everything that you had. And um, so as a reader, I just, I loved having you point me to his word in every chapter. I mean, you gave and you're giving your readers a chance to just really soak in the power and promises of scripture. And I loved that. Um, I also, I already mentioned it, but I loved the glimpses that we got into the way that your husband, Mike's mom and grandma turned, you know, this whole messy situation into such a beautiful ministry. And I think, um, you really allowed them to shine and their hearts to shine in your book. And, um, that was encouraging as well. Um, and lastly, just to kind of bring it back full circle to the beginning of our conversation and how you and I connected through MOPS, um, it just really warmed my heart to hear you mm-hmm. reflect on the strength that you were able to pull from some of the relationships and friendships that you developed um, during those MOPS years. And I just wanted to read what you wrote about these special women. You said, I feel like it's me against the entire world, all except my family and the band of women from my MOPS groups. MOPS group. I wouldn't be alive if they didn't surround me. And I just thought that was such a powerful shout out to them and the work that God did through those years together in MOPS. And I think they um, all had their hard things going on too. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just a room full of broken women who were just wanting to help each other run Mm -hmm. to the Lord in the midst of it. And Mm -hmm. some beautiful fruit has developed in so many of your lives um, as a result of those special years together. Mm -hmm. So, well, there's a lot more we could cover. um, Mm -hmm. But like I said, thankfully, you have your book out in the world now. And um, I encourage my listeners to go and get it and dive into the full story. And um, again, your book is titled Released from Chains to Chosen, and it's out now as well as some bonus material on your website. So what's the best way for people to purchase your book and how can they get access to some of the new content that you have released? Yeah, so it is available on Amazon. Maybe we could put the link mm-hmm. yep, in the will. comments. In the, yep, I will. Yep. And then um, Chains to Chosen is the website. Okay, so I'll add com, that too. I believe. So, okay. yep. And then once you subscribe, then you get all of the bonus material and there'll be more coming. One of the things that you did talk about that mm-hmm. I have such a heart for is this the power it is to write someone that is behind bars. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to come up with a way to have like a prison pen pal of Love that. sorts. Yes. And so I'm trying to collect inmate numbers of people that want 
want that encouragement, maybe mm-hmm. send them a copy of Release, Change the Chosen. Mm-hmm. I remember there not being enough books on the book cart that were, a, you know, encouragement and uplifting. And I have a heart to talk to those people. And so um, just being that. able to connect um, subscribers with people that need the hope of Jesus Christ. So hopefully that will be coming yeah. soon. Yeah. I have a Facebook page, Change the Chosen as well. Great. And so, yeah, um, great. some exciting things to come. Well, as um, we wrap up here, Brandy, I am wondering if you'd be willing to read what you call the next step section at the end of your book. It's just, it's a beautiful way that you ended your book. And I think it gives each person reading such great encouragement and hope and wisdom. And I would love to just have you end our conversation with those couple of paragraphs if you're willing to read them. Yes. Okay. Okay. So next steps. I hope my story of God's redemptive power inspires you to rise out of the prison of past shame, pain, and rejection. Assume your true identity as a chosen child of God and get to know your father. Never allow people to skew your view of him, for he is who he says he is. No church is perfect and believers will let us down. Stay connected to a body of believers and community. Pursue his word and his presence, and he will change you from the inside out. Never stop forging ahead, even through the trenches. Two steps forward and one step back is still moving in the right direction. God uses suffering and hardships to change, strengthen, and draw us to himself and others. He can change the trajectory of our lives and the lives of our children, So fan the flames of his desire and call on your heart and set this world on fire for him. Thank you, Brandy. That was beautiful. And I'm so thankful for our time together this afternoon and just your willingness to share. You say it at the end of your book, um, but sometimes when we go first, when we are willing to share, others will follow and it will give them the courage to share their hard things too. And as you and I have both experienced, there's power and healing in sharing and I know your words and your story will help others as they listen today to remember that they're not forgotten and that there is always hope and that it is possible to experience joy even in the darkest of circumstances and that the fight for joy is worth it absolutely thank you Brandy thank you thank you so much for listening today if you were helped or encouraged by this episode please share it with others I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.